right. Good job, everybody. Good to see you today. Well, thanks. I will only say this once a year, but you guys look ugly today. It's bad. The ugliest sweater is not a sweater. It's a hockey jersey, and it's in the back right there. It's a Blackhawks jersey. I'm surprised you're able to walk in here. We can't guarantee you can walk out. But good job on the ugly sweater. Appreciate you guys. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Hope everybody's doing well. And uh, looking forward. Tate's right though, man. Christmas time is hectic, ain't it? Yeah. And also recognize the fact that Christmas is a, is a difficult time for some. And I won't go into that because I don't like to cry. I'm too much of a man. Amen. But uh, Christmas time can be diff- difficult and tough on those who have loved ones that have gone on before us. And so keep that in mind this year. Everybody you meet is going through something. And so we ought to always be kind and compassionate and considerate uh, and give folks the benefit of the doubt. I think that'd be revolutionary to humanity, not to mention the, uh, the appearance or the uh, perspective of the world of Christian people. Christian people ought to be the kindest people on the planet, ought to be the most generous people on the planet, ought to be the most compassionate people on the planet. I'll keep saying stuff to you, amen. <laughs> but the reality is we are called, you know, we, we, uh, in, in the church culture that I grew up in, there was always a lot of talk about separation, how that Christian people ought to be separate from the world, and somehow along the, the, the road of, of life throughout time, we, we, we mistook that to mean that Christians are supposed to, like dressing different is what makes us different than the world. Y'all ever grew up in a culture like that, a church culture? You ought to be different, bless God. The music ought to be different. Your sound, your lights, the way you look ought to be different. It's all that stuff. When the reality is, what ought to be different about us is our spirit. There ought to be something different about the way that we, that we interact with people, the way we treat one another. We ought to be the most forgiving people on the, on the planet because we, we've been the most forgiven by God. And I told y'all I'm going to keep saying this stuff till you get with me. We can't even get to the sermon until you start amening. There's a rhythm here. There's a rhythm. All right. Thank you. That's all I had to say. But anyway, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's a, it's, it's a fairly brief chapter as far as chapters go. And I'm going to try to wrap up chapter number 2 today. Uh, there's just so much here that I felt like we needed to draw out and a few things that are vital to our understanding. And so read with me in chapter 2, verse number 1. Paul said, and I, brothers, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, this is funny because Paul really in presence, uh, you know, was a, was a fairly intimidating guy. I don't think in stature. I don't think Paul was was a, a, a tall individual. He was Jewish and not going to, you know, be, uh, be all stereotypical this morning, but they're not usually the biggest people on the, on the planet. You guys are so scared <laughs> to admit things that are true to fact. Paul, pro, Paul probably was not, not an intimidating guy. You wouldn't have looked at Paul across the room and said, man, that is a big old Jew right there, <laughs> right? 
Paul was probably an average size guy, but, uh, but he was intimidating to people. He just sort of carried that, that, that air about him, sort of a larger-than-life persona. And we see that in other parts of his writing. And Paul, before he came to Christ, was, uh, was known uh, to be a very harsh, bitter, mean, threatening personality. And so I find it amusing when I read in verse number three where Paul says, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Later on in the same book, you're going to see that he threatens them and says things essentially like, hey, you think I'm talking tough now? Wait till I get there. You're acting like, you're acting like this is all just a bunch of talk. Wait till I show up and I'm with you in presence. I'm going to, sh- I'm going to show you who's tough, hoss. And so Paul wasn't afraid to confront issues. Paul wasn't afraid to stand toe-to-toe with any man as far as we can understand in the Scriptures. And yet, he said that the message of the cross was so important that he didn't even want to use that. He didn't, even want, he didn't want people to come to Christ out of some form of intimidation or some fear tactic. He said, I was with you in weakness and in much trembling. And in verse 4, he said, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. Again, Paul was a highly educated man. He said, however, he said, my, my message was in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I've been talking a lot recently about being, being extraordinarily ordinary. And I mentioned this again on Wednesday night in our Wednesday night Bible study that we have at 6 o'clock every Wednesday night going through a series called It's a Wonderful Life on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. And I mentioned this in the Bible study this past Wednesday night at 6 o'clock that, uh, that there's, something, there's something about this, this concept of being extraordinarily ordinary. And what I mean by that is that it's amazing. We, we put so much weight on ourselves, and I don't know if it's insecurity or arrogance or maybe a little bit of both, but we put so much emphasis on our tactics and our abilities to persuade people or to, to woo them and impress them with our education or whatever it might be that Paul said, listen, I, I, he had all of that. He had the education. He had the ability to even intimidate people to a certain degree. And he said, but I purposed in my heart that when I was there ministering in Corinth, I, I would not use any of that. He said, I didn't want to come across as someone who was intellectually superior, though, though again, he was highly educated, spoke probably five or six different languages, uh, but, 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 his, but the power in Paul's life was not so much uh, in his ability, but in, in the recognition of his own inabilities. And that is that, that, that Paul came to this point where he realized if God was ever going to use him, he was going to have to get out of the way. If, if God was ever going to greatly use him, it wasn't going to be because of him. It was going to be because of the grace that was at work in him. And so in, in verse number five, he explains this. He says, I wanted your faith to be in the power of God, not the wisdom of men. Verse six, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. This world is coming to an end. The kingdoms, I should say, of this world are coming to an end. Y'all know that? He said the system of this world has to die at some point. It's broken. It's built on a feudal, empty foundation, and it's going to come to an end. He says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this world knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If you want to see the utmost despicable side of humanity, all you have to do is look at the cross of Jesus Christ. If you want to see the worst of the worst, if you want to know how depraved the human heart can be unbridled, you see that in the way they treated Jesus, the only perfect man who ever walked the earth, never harmed anyone, never did anything but good. He healed people. 
He restored broken lives. He spoke words of wisdom and grace. He was the very presence of God, and yet they nailed him to a cross in exchange for a thief. You say, how is that? Well, it's, it's, it's actually quite simple. The human heart is broken and depraved, and it's infected, and we see it all poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And Paul writes here and gives us a little insight, a little backstory, and he said, listen, if, if the world knew, if the governments of this world knew, if the powers of this world had known what the Father would do through the Son on the cross, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Isn't it wonderful how God can take all the evil and all the villainy and all the depravity in this world and somehow still bring out his own glory and his own good. And that's what we see in the cross of Jesus. He says in verse number nine, as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. uh, Another translation says the secret things of God. The Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things or the secret things of God. We'll circle back to that in a minute. Verse 11, for what man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Did you spank that kid? (laughs) Nice. Nice. If I can hear that from here, you're doing good. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit. That's how my daddy did it, boy. And if I was being real bad, I got taken to the stairwell. Well, I'd be squealing. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, we bow our hearts in your presence. Lord, we want to seek you today. We need more than anything for you to reveal yourself to us. Father, we're not asking for some mystical sign or, or for you to rend the heavens, but Father, we are asking that you'd simply speak to us, that you take the, the vastness and the diversity of this crowd today and then the simplicity of this message coming from this messenger and, and somehow use it uniquely in every single heart. I pray that you do the work that no one on this earth could possibly do but you. Father, we need you more than the air that's entering our lungs. We need the Spirit to breathe on us today. We pray that you'd be poured out, and God, that you'd help us to pour in to your presence. Grant us wisdom, grant us direction according to your goodness, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So this segment of the series, I didn't really know how long we would, would how much time we would spend here, but, but we've been in this little segment of our series in 1 Corinthians. First of all, the entirety of the series is called Church is Messy. That's an absolute truth, is it not? Church is messy because people are messy, and to come into a church and expect anything less than a mess is uh, really just, just sort of not even reasonable, is it? But we've treated church that way. We've been conditioned to think that church is supposed to be some, you know, subculture within humanity where, whereby Christian people are, are perfect and or sinless, and that's just not even close to reality. Now, having said that, we are called to a higher standard. Amen? I'm as real as they come, all right? 
there's no pretense with me. I don't like it. I don't like facades. I don't like any of that. It, it's, it's kind of disgusting, quite frankly, to me. Uh, but at the same time, people don't need the real me. They need the real Jesus in me. Y'all follow that? You don't need the real me. I promise. That's not going to get us anywhere but mad. But the reality is, the same is true of you. We, we, we all have, if we're born again, we have, a, we, have a, we have our old physical side. We have our old physical nature. Uh, those preconditioned uh, idiosyncrasies and personality traits that we each possess that are unique to us that, that can be very toxic. But then if we've been saved and, and, and born of the Spirit, then God's presence also abides with us. And He can even take our brokenness. He can, he can even take those negative things and turn them into a positive. And so we, we have to learn what it is to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, and so this segment of the series is called, Who is God, dot, 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 pump, pump, to you, pump. That's the dramatic flair. You get it? Who is God to you? You have to watch a certain show to get that joke. But anyway, uh, who is God to you? Meaning, not that, not that God's nature is fluid, don't misunderstand me. That's not to say that, that we, can just, we can just contrive any image of God that we want to. In fact, that's, that's exactly what one of the Ten Commandments means when God said to Moses to tell the people that thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. A graven image is, is our own fashioning and our, and our own concept of God. We don't get to have our own patent on who God is. You follow me? His nature is not fluid. He's not ambiguous. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His nature is immutable. He never changes. But we all perceive God from a slightly different vantage point. Even if we were raised in very similar backgrounds, have a similar upbringing, we have had our own unique experiences. We could have gone to the same church. We could have been raised in the same Sunday school. We could have gone through the same vacation Bible school. Whatever you did, we could have gone through identical circumstances, and yet we would have all gleaned something slightly different. Therefore, when I ask the question, who is God to you, I fully understand that we all have our own nuanced perspective of the nature of God. If you were raised in an unfortunate family situation, then, then your view of God might be skewed. You might have this very harsh view of God. You might see God as, as, as being a hard taskmaster, a dictator. You might see God as being, uh, being very unforgiving. Uh, I, I shared last week that in the church culture that I was brought up in, uh, no, I'm not, not knocking them necessarily. I will sometime, but not right now. But but I had this view of God whereby I, I was taught and I understood that as a believer, God became my father. I understood the passages and uh, like John chapter 1 that says, as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. I knew passages like Romans chapter 8 where it says that the spirit from within us cries out, Abba, Father. I understood the, the fatherhood of God. I understood that I was his child. I even understood that being the ch a child of God, that he wasn't going to forsake me or cast me aside and yet, because there was such an emphasis, and I would even say an overemphasis on certain attributes of God, and, and then there was an underemphasis on, on the mercy of God, that my view of God, though I understood him as father, I saw him and viewed him through the, through the eye of my heart as, as being very difficult to please. Being a father who was, yeah, he was there for me if I needed him, but he was also looking over my shoulder everywhere I went. And if I stepped out of line or said something the wrong way or had the wrong attitude, he was going to thump the back of my ear, and I was going to be in trouble when I got home. 
And so we all have our own nuanced, unique perspectives on God. And so in this segment of the series, I want us to sort of reset and get on the same page because, because the nature of God, as I said a moment ago, is unchanging. Therefore, in, in order to understand him on a deeper level, under, to, in order to understand God uh, on, on, on a scriptural basis, then we have to start at the beginning and understand fundamentally who God is. And so I want you to notice again with me in chapter 2, verse number 1, where Paul said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want to say very right out of the gate this morning, number one, that the very foundation of all truth pertaining to God and humanity is discovered in the cross of Jesus Christ. You see it in text behind me now? Now you get it? You all ready? I'm going to say it again. The foundation of all truth pertaining to God, what we would call theology proper. Theology proper is understanding the basics of God's nature. All truth pertaining to God and humanity is discovered in the cross of Jesus Christ. God's intrinsic nature and your intrinsic value are revealed in the death of of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Now hear me out. Paul said, I determined when I was among you, talking to the Corinthian people, he said, I determined when I was with you not to know anything except that. And I've asked you this a couple times, and I hope you're being honest with me. But if I walked in here every single Sunday for the next six weeks and preached the same message, and that message was the death, the burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, y'all would probably have some conversations in the car or at El Nepal on your way home. Amen? It would go something like this. Man, I love Matt. It always starts that way, <laughs> doesn't it? Bad mouthing always starts like that. Man, I, no, don't, don't take me the wrong way. I love this dude. I love this dude. He is, the, he is no doubt the best preacher I've ever heard in all my life. You guys didn't know I bugged your cars, and I know what you talk about. Just kidding. But then, but it, somewhere, somewhere along the line, it would shift. Maybe you would start with something positive. Maybe you wouldn't. You might just be savage and come right out of the gate criticizing. But it would go something like this. Man, I don't know. May, I, you think he's not been studying or something? Maybe he's too busy. Maybe he's got too many irons in the fire. Maybe he, I don't know. He just, it's like every Sunday, I feel like for the last several weeks, at least the last month, it's been the same freaking thing every Sunday. Now, watch this. I've actually made the same statement a few times just to check you a little bit. And that statement is, God's intrinsic nature and your intrinsic value are discovered in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've said that over and over for two reasons. Number one, I want you to recognize the fact that, that from a human psychological perspective, when we hear the same, over, same thing over and over, it becomes monotonous. Even though that statement, I love looking at your face right now because you're wanting to act like it's not true. But that statement is one of the most dynamic truths you will ever get settled in your heart. 100% is. The fact that God's intrinsic nature, his, his, his very, the very essence of everything else about God is based off the fact that the Bible tells us, 
Not just in one passage, but it tells us explicitly in one particular passage that God is love. And I've pointed out that it doesn't just say that that's an attribute of God. It would say God is loving. It says in the affirmative sense that God is love. That means that he is very truly love in and of himself. There is no true love outside of God's nature. Because God himself is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the author, and he is the one who defines what love genuinely is. So you can't understand God if you don't understand love. And we see perfect love poured out on the cross where Jesus Christ took our place And instead of allowing us to go to our own perdition and our own destiny independent of his presence, he stepped into humanity, sort of freeze-framed himself in a moment of time, and the eternal God took upon himself the form of humanity, took upon himself the form of man, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Why did he do that? He did not do that because we were just so lovable he couldn't live without us. He did that because his nature is love. And he looked beyond all of our mess and all of our mistakes and chose in his own sovereign purpose and will to pour his love out on us. And at the cross, Jesus said, I'd rather die for you than live without you. And so we see in the cross God's intrinsic nature is love. And then we see our intrinsic value is that we are loved by God. You'll never come to a realization more important or powerful than this. And that is that the God of all creation who knows every single detail about you, good, bad, and ugly, every blemish, every scar, every skeleton, that God loves you with everything he has. And so when Paul said, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, he wasn't playing dumb for the sake of playing dumb. He just knew that they had to understand that before they could understand anything else. And so today, I want to preach the exact same sermon you heard last week. No, I'm not going to do that. I do want to say this, though. As we get into verse number six, there is more to know. So don't think that that, that the beginning and ending of all knowledge is what we see in verses 1 through 5. In verse number 6, watch this. He said, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them who love him. So Paul is saying, look, there are are other things I want to share with you. There is what he's calling hidden wisdom. There are things that he said were spoken in a mystery. Did you know this this was very much stereotypical of the teachings of Christ? If you follow the teachings of Christ through the gospel, the Bible says over and over that he taught many things in parables. If you've ever read or studied the parables of Jesus, they're kind of hard to understand. In fact, so hard to understand that a lot of people misinterpret the parables of Christ because they they don't take into account the fact that a parable is, is really a story that's trying to convey one particular truth, one overarching truth, as it were. And so now Paul says, there are other things to know, but you're going to maybe have to dig in just a little bit 
to understand them. Amen? You guys are more easily distracted than I am, and that's saying something. Kudos to you. But hear me out. Paul said there, there are deeper things that God wants you to know. There are, there are things so intricate, so personal, so detailed, and so patented to you as an individual that you can only understand them through the wisdom given to you through God's Holy Spirit. That's deep. We're not just talking about gaining head knowledge or, 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 or earning a degree. We're talking about a knowledge that goes beyond anything you could ever learn from a pulpit, anything you could ever learn in a classroom. He says there are deeper things that God wants you to know and that he wants to reveal to you that no human being can articulate. It doesn't matter how great a preacher or a teacher or a philosopher or a psychologist. It does not matter a person's education level or, or their ability to speak eloquently. He said there are things that God has to reveal to you personally through his spirit. And so there is more to know. And that knowledge begins with a new birth. You have to know the Holy Spirit to understand what the Holy Spirit wants you to know. Now, think about this. Going back to the Gospels in John chapter number 3, this is one of those passages that, that, are, that are fundamental to everything else that we understand as believers in Christ. John chapter 3, verse number 1, we see that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. In verse 2, he came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, Nicodemus was doing what a lot of, of religious leaders do, and I'm not saying this to be critical, it's just true. He was, he was pandering. Y'all know what pandering is. People get up and patty cake you and flatter you and say stuff like, boy, we sure love that preacher. But, there's always a but, ain't there? So, so Nicodemus, being a, a religious leader, he was one of the leaders of the sect called the Pharisees. He was, he was a very Jewy Jew, and he came to Jesus secretively by night, and he said, we know that you're a teacher come from God. No one can do. You're awesome, dude, right? Like, Jesus, you're so rad, man. <laughs> like, you're the coolest. Whatever, all right? You guys are a tough crowd to please this morning. I mean, I broke out my surfer voice and everything. But, he, but, but Jesus, in verse number three, completely ignores his pandering, completely ignores his pseudo-flattery, and he says, most assuredly. Now, if you read the text, it's almost like Jesus just completely, just completely ignored everything Nicodemus had said, completely ignored who he was, was not in any way impressed with the fact that Nicodemus was some great leader. Yeah? But he said, I, he said, most assuredly, without a doubt, I say to you, he, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I don't care how great a teacher you are, Nicodemus. I don't care how influential of a leader you may be. I don't care how many people look to you and think that you're really just this something or other. But the fact is, unless you are born again, you'll never even see the gates of heaven. And then Nicodemus asked, I think, a logical question, if you're thinking from a pragmatic, carnal perspective. He said, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time 
into his mother's womb and be born? Gross question, no doubt. Right? But the logical question, again, if you're thinking only from a pragmatic perspective, how can a man be born when he's old? You're telling me I have to be born a second time. I can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless I am born again. And Jesus clarifies, and he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He clarifies in verse number 6 even further by saying, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel. Don't be surprised. Don't be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. So here's how simple this concept is really if we'll think about it from a deeper perspective. He said, just as you were physically born into this world, everybody understand that? How many of y'all have a, have a birthday? See, this is what crowd participation is all about, guys. <laughs> that, was, that was what we call a slow pitch in softball. You should have been able to swing at it at least. But let me ask it again. Wake them up. Ready? How many of y'all have a birthday? There we go. Look at you. I knew you could. How many of you stopped counting birthdays? Yeah. All right. Now, that's about the right ratio. So Jesus said, you know what it is to be physically born. You get that. Everybody does. That is, that's the epitome of a no-brainer. I'm here. I wasn't here at one time. Now I'm here. I was born. Physically born. Jesus said, in the same sense, unless you are born of water, that's a physical birth. Do we need to get into that? Okay. That's a physical birth, born of water and of the Spirit. You cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Everybody understands the concept of a physical birth. He said, in like fashion, you have to understand the concept of a spiritual birth. Just as you were born into this world physically, you have to be born a second time into the kingdom of God. He elaborates even further in the book of 1 Peter where he says that you were born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God that lives and abides forever. So he explains that that, that when the, the seed of the gospel is planted in our heart, we have to come to this point of fruition where we respond and we believe and we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And in that moment, we are born of the Spirit. See, you'll never see heaven by being religious. You'll never see heaven by being good. I don't doubt that there are some good people as far as people are concerned in the room. But you're not good enough because the reality of life and humanity is that we're all sinful, we're all broken, and your sin may not smell as bad as mine, but it still smells. And your sin might be a little more socially acceptable than others, but it's still sin. And God is still holy, and his kingdom is still perfect, and there's no way unholy, imperfect people like you and me can enter into his kingdom, into his presence, without being born of the Spirit. And so when Paul says there are deeper things that God wants to reveal to you, he goes on to say, as we're going to see in just a moment, that those things are revealed to us through the Spirit of God, that no one can know the things of man except the Spirit of man that's in him. And in like fashion, no one can know the things of God except the Spirit of God. In other words, in order to understand spiritual things that God has revealed to us, in order to understand the book, you have to know the author. 
There are things that God wants to reveal, but you have to be born into his kingdom before you can ever really understand the depth and the magnitude of what he wants to reveal to you. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, then the only thing you need to know is what Paul said in verse number two, that Jesus Christ has been crucified on your behalf. He died in your place. The sinless lamb of God took upon himself all of your sin, all of your brokenness, all of the things that you're now ashamed of. Jesus became that for you on the cross and died in your place. And when he was buried in the tomb, he took all your sins with him. When he rose again, he rose in victory to give you life and eternal power through his spirit if you'll put your faith in him. It's the cross that reveals to us who we are, and it's in the cross that we find whose we are when we trust God the Father in God the Son, and then he gives us God the Spirit when we trust in him. Which brings us to point number two. And that is in verse number 11, Paul says, God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. Who do you think the us is? Are, were, ah, English is hard. Who do you think he's talking about? Us. Who's the us? The us are those who have been born of the Spirit, those who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, we're translated, the Bible tells us, from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of his dear Son. It's the mystical work of God. It's the operation of God whereby he, his Spirit takes up residence within us. We say things like, ask Jesus into your heart, right? I don't know if he lives here, per se, but when we trust in Jesus, he does come to live. His spirit comes to live inside of us. So Paul said in verse number, verse number 10 that God has revealed some things to us, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Here's the verse I quoted a moment ago, what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man in our natural state without having been born again. You following the, the reasoning here? Our natural state does not understand, receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned, but he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. Interesting. Can't talk today. The, he said we have, present tense, the mind of Christ. You ever even consider that? For yourself, if you're, if you're here today and you're saved, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but, but if you have that time in your life when you know you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he said right here that we presently have the mind of Christ. That doesn't mean we know everything that God knows, but it does mean that we have the ability to know the things that God wants us to know. So point number two is simply this. I think you guys should feel relieved that I even got to the outline today. Because this is what we did not get to last week. So point number two is simply this. Who we know, what we know, and how we know. The who 
was a decent band. But anyway, the who of what we know is Jesus Christ. Right? The who of what we know is Jesus Christ. When it says we have the mind of Christ, who do we know? If we have been born of God's Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives within us, then what we know about God in all of His majesty is revealed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about this. In John chapter 1, verse number 18, Jesus made this statement. He said, no one has seen God at any time. Rather, I think these are the words of John the Baptist. He said, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has declared Him. That word declared is, uh, is a synonym of, we might use the word manifested. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has declared Him. So what we know about God, the eternal God of all creation, the God who from a human perspective is unknowable because he's so much greater than we are that we can't even wrap our mind around him. We can't even understand the universe. Y'all, are, y'all get that? I mean, with all the technology, I mean, for crying out loud, we can't even remember how to go back to the moon. There's a rabbit hole. Get in that one. <laughs> Woo. Oh, I mean, think about it. With all, all the intelligence of all the government agencies and, and all, the, all the things in the world, all the accumulation of knowledge, all the libraries, all the books, everything that we have, the Wikipedia, we can't even understand our own world. We can't even understand our own galaxy. And then we talk about understanding the God who made all of it. We can't really fully wrap our mind around God, and yet He revealed Himself to us on a level that we can understand. Now, I'm getting nervous because I'm, I'm running out of time, and I don't feel like you guys are listening fast enough. Can you listen faster, please? Okay, thank you. Just speed that up or whatever that dial is. Turn that up a little bit for me. No one's seen God at any time. No one has ever witnessed, and I'd love to take you to the Old Testament and show you examples of, of this in the Old Testament, but I don't have time for that. Jesus, Jesus said, in me I've declared to you the Father. Now watch this, John 14, verse number 6, one of my favorite passages, surprise, surprise. But in John 14, verses 1 through 5, it's where Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there, there you may be also. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, or how can we know the way? Jesus said in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Now watch, verse 7. Jesus said, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. If you would have known me, Thomas, if you'd have been paying attention... If you had known me, if, you, if, you, if you'd taken, taken careful inventory and notice of who I am, you would know my Father also. No one comes to the Father except to me. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him. Now watch this. Big bold letters. And have seen him. To see Jesus is to see the Father. Now, it's okay if you're not comprehending this, because verse number 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. 
Show us the Father, and it's sufficient. It'll settle everything. If you just show us the Father, Jesus said to him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet you've not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you understand to see Jesus? This is, this, I, it's difficult. I'm, I'm admitting this because I don't understand it either. But, but to see Jesus, and of course we don't see him with physical eyes. We can see him through his, his word and through his spirit. But he said to see me is to see God in all of his glory. Did you know that, that Paul would later go on to write under inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily? Do you know that the Godhead is the, is the English word that we use? It's just, it's just a human description of, of, of an undescribable, mighty, majestic God which, which is revealed to us in, in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You familiar with those terms? We call it the Trinity. Again, we, we do our best to try and explain God, the inexplicable God. We do our best to try to break God down and explain Him, and, and we, we see how He's revealed in Scripture, that He's revealed Himself to us as a Father. He's revealed Himself to us as the Son who became flesh. We see Him revealed to us in the, in the person of the Holy Spirit. But, but really, it's all, all of that is contained in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so to study Jesus is to study theology proper. Are you listening that? Are you still listening fast? Seriously, you have to hurry. To see Jesus is to see the Father. Philip, have I been with you this whole time? I, I've, been, I've been here in presence with you all of this time, and yet you haven't known me. You still haven't understood. And it is, it is kind of, I find it comforting and perplexing at the same time every time I study the Gospels and see how little the apostles actually knew. It's amazing, isn't it? The gospel, uh, rather, the, the apostles didn't even fully understand the gospel. I'll fight you on that. Jesus rose from the dead and they were arguing about it. You understand the resurrection is fundamental to the gospel, that we're saved by the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet the apostles, after Jesus rose, said, No. He walked through a wall and ate a sandwich with them. They go, ah, I ain't getting it. And so there's mercy, but, but hear me out. Jesus is saying, look, you understand more than you think you do. To see me is to see the Father. So, so the who is Jesus. I got to hurry. Gosh, dog, why do I bring so much to the table? I need to cut these sermons shorter. The what? I got to give you this fast. The what? You need to start coming to the 11 o'clock service. We are no, under no constraints in the 11 o'clock service, which is why you come to the nine. Don't you even try to fool me. But the what, you know I'm bound in the nine o'clock. The what, the what, when we talk about what we know, he says you have the mind of Christ. So here's what we do know. We talk about Jesus. You say, ah, oh, all this talk that you know him and understand him, I really don't know you do. Hear me out. You do. You understand more about him than you think you do because a person is understood through their attributes. Well, then what are the attributes of Christ? The attributes of Christ have been so clearly defined in terms that are, that are easy to understand. We read it and we've read it over and over again, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit the evidence, the attributes, things attributed to his nature. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So when we think about the nature of God, we ask questions like, what would Jesus do? Y'all remember that? WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, it's not an unsolvable mystery. Because in every question of life, in every scenario of life, in every situation where you're seeking wisdom, God may need to reveal some things very specifically to that situation to you, and yet there are easily understood attributes of God's presence that we all can identify. I can always ask myself in any given conversation, am I saying what I'm about to say in love? If the answer is no, then that's not what I'm supposed to say. Or perhaps not how I'm supposed to say it, because we all know sometimes it's not what you say. It's how you say it. So I can always examine the attributes. Is this loving? Am I functioning from a disposition of joy? Am I being peaceful? In my conversation, in the things that I'm repeating to other people about other people, Am I being peaceful or am I being divisive? Because if I'm being divisive, then I am not operating as an advocate of the Holy Spirit. I'm operating as an advocate of the enemy who brings division and discord. So it's easy to identify. It's not as complicated as we try to make it. We think the mind of God. I can't possibly know the mind of God. You absolutely can. If you're born of the Spirit, then you understand certain attributes of God's Spirit. Am I being patient, long-suffering, giving people the same grace and the same amount of time to grow into that situation as as I would want them to have with me? Long-suffering, that's that loving your neighbor as you love yourself, and we all love ourselves quite well. We do. If we would just start giving other people what we want those people to give us, it would revolutionize society almost entirely. So the attributes of God, the what, is not that complicated. I genuinely used to get frustrated, those bumper stickers and t-shirts and wristbands, WWJD. I mean, I don't freaking know. What would Jesus do? I ain't Jesus. I can tell you what I'm about to do, but I don't know what he would do. Well, it's not that complicated. Because he's revealed himself to us in his attributes. He's good. He's self-controlled. Did I say something stupid? Oh, good. Whew. Sometimes I don't know. They were laughing, and I, maybe my flies on. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> He's good. I got to go. I got to go. We don't have time for this. The how's the Holy Spirit, right? As Jesus was with the disciples in the physical, his spirit is with us in the metaphysical. I'm going to give you this, and I'm done. I have a doorbell for the worship team. <laughs> I need to give you this. This this might sound overly simple, but I'm going to give you some of the best advice that I'll that I'll ever give you. You ready? It's one of the most important routines you'll ever implement into your daily life. And you know it if you've been around church at all. It's that you need to learn the Lord's prayer and recite it every single day. Hmm. You wanted something heavy, didn't you? Think about this. 
the disciples of Jesus came to Jesus. They had him in arm's length and could ask him anything at all. The disciples go to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. What is prayer? Prayer is communion with God. It's me being in communication with my creator. So the disciples, one of the best questions they ever asked the Lord in, in, this, in this world, they said, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Here's what Jesus said. If you know it, I want you to say it with me. If you, if you, if you memorized it in the King James like I did in kindergarten. It goes like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now hear me out. Not in a hollow sense of repeating words thoughtlessly. But in a very intentional way, if you'll pray that through from your heart every day, not just reciting the words. I learned it just like we said it. When I was a kid, I started off in Christian school, and that didn't go well by the time I was in third grade, so they shipped me to public school. But anyway, another sermon illustration for another time. But I went to Christian school up till third grade, went to private school. And so I learned that at an early age. We had to say it every day before lunch. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so I, I learned just to recite it thoughtlessly. Many of you did as well. You thought you, you learned just that's just a ritual that we go through. We just say those words. It's not the saying the words. There are no magic words. It's not about repeating a magical prayer and suddenly, you know, everything's going to, the stars are going to align, everything's going to work out. But it's when you understand that when Jesus, God in the flesh, taught us how to pray, he said, pray like this. When you understand that there is so much power in coming into God's presence every single day, and, and again, not just saying that vainly or repetitiously, but saying it from the heart, recognizing that God is your Father, that you need Him, that you want Him to provide your needs, that you want His will to be done on your, in your life on this earth as it is in heaven. In our Wednesday night Bible study at 6 o'clock, I mentioned this about the fact that, that God has a purpose for you. And so the greatest accomplishment and achievement you will ever find in this life is to discover the will of God and then to have the wisdom to recognize the will of God. That God has created you for purpose. That God did not design you. You're not some prototype that he, that he set off in a, in a, in a side closet somewhere and you somehow snuck out right you're not some frankenstein god made you meticulously for purpose on purpose he designed you with all of your flaws and idiosyncrasies not that god made us flawed but he knew we would be flawed and god can take all of that and through his will being performed and revealed in your life he can use your life and he can make a lot of sense out of things that have never made sense to you, if you'll trust in him. How do you perceive God this morning? Well, I can tell you how he perceives you. He loves you more than you can imagine. And he wants to bless your life. He wants to fill your life. He wants to use your life for his honor and glory. Let's all stand together today. Our Father, in Jesus' name.
we surrender our hearts. Sometimes I wish time would stand still. Lord, I've got so much more that I want to say. But in this allotted time, Lord, I feel like I've said what needs to be said. And so I pray that you would use this simple, ordinary message. And Father, do something extraordinary. 